Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Shabbat Shalom, everyone, and welcome to this week's class of Exploring the Parsha. As always, I'm Rabbi Matt Shapiro. And with me today is not Rabbi Rebecca Schatz, who unfortunately couldn't join us today, but instead the very well-received and enthusiastically welcomed uh, rabbinic resident, Jackie Honig, who's going to teach with me. Yeah, wow, look at all the waves you're getting. Lots of, lots of enthusiasm, lots of love for Jackie. That's so well, like uh, well earned. They really like me. And, and, and lovely to see. Um, no one is ever that happy to see. It's um, because you're like the regular deal. I'm the surprise special guest. That's how it goes. Special guest. Note to self, go away for a long time and people will finally be happy to see me again. Um, but then you have to surprise them. That's, that's surprise. the, that's the trick. All right. We, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, doing great. We have, uh, a juicy Parsha for you this week, my friends. Um, this is one of those, frankly, I wish we could actually spend like the next three weeks on this Parsha so we wouldn't have to do, uh, Tabernacle to Electric Boogaloo. Uh, but I don't make the rules. I just, uh, resentfully follow them. So um, we are going to uh, get every bit of juice that we can out of this week's Parsha. Um, we are going to um, dive right into the middle of the narrative. I'll take us through uh, a, a, a chunk that y'all probably will recognize um to a certain extent and we're gonna then hone in on home in or hone in hone with an n h-o-n-e home home is also with it right you can home in like homing pigeons or honig in we're going to hone in very good renee you get the awful dad joke wordplay award of the day, which I usually lay claim to, but uh, it's a dar, so na fuchu. Um Okay, we're going to pick things up. Chapter 32. Um, Moses is up on the mountain getting some Tyra, and the people are getting antsy in their pantsy, as the rabbis say. They see that Moses is taking a long time to come down, and they say uh, to Aaron, right? The translated there as Vayikal um, El Aaron, like they're it says gathering against them, but like they're congregating around him and say, "Make us a god, uh, make us a god." Since Moses, uh, that that fe- that fellow Moses, an evocative translation, that guy Moses, uh, we don't know where he went. And I w- I want you guys to sort of like track the way in which the narrative is laid out here because it's going to be um sort of essentially retold uh in some of the verses that that we're going to be looking at more closely so aaron says them take off uh take off the gold rings um that that you guys see uh and bring them to me they do so and uh they cast that gold into a mold and made it into a molten 
calf. They made it into a molten calf and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron sees this, builds an altar before it and announced tomorrow will be a festival of God, of God, you might translate, but like using the holiest name we have for God and the unique name that we have for God saying to celebrate this golden calf, we're going to have a feast for Yodhei right? So definitely some, some hardcore idolatry uh, going on. Hardcore idolatry, great name for a rock band, probably like sort of death metal. Uh, early next day, the people offered up, they bought offerings and sacrifices. They ate and drank Vayukumu uh, Litzachek. Like translate here is rose to dance, but like to laugh, like they're, they're having a party. Meanwhile, back on the ranch, uh, God says to Moses, uh, you got to get down there. These people are acting basely. They're turning aside from uh, the way I've shown them. They've made themselves this golden calf. They're bowing to it. They're sacrificing it. God getting increasingly cranky as he goes. Uh, this is a stiff-necked people. I, my anger will blaze forth against them. I will destroy them. They'll be gone. And we're gonna we're gonna hit the the reboot button. Our computer's not working. We're gonna we're gonna turn it off and turn it back on again. Uh, I'm gonna destroy them, and I'm gonna start over with you. And there's also a dynamic here that I think is really interesting in terms of how Moses and sort of like foregrounding a couple of pieces a little more heavily than I usually do. But part of the reason I picked the verses I picked is because I think they're an interesting refraction um, or sort of mirror image of stuff that happened earlier in the chapter. Moses comes to their defense, right? Moses comes to their defense and says, God, don't let your anger blaze forth. You have delivered them. Don't let the Egyptians say, God only took them out to then kill them in the mountains, right? Turn away from your anger. Don't punish them. Remember Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yisrael. Remember our forefathers that you made this promise to them. And Moses makes a very convincing argument and renounced the punishment. Good job, Moses. Good, good. Good uh, defense, good argument for the defense. But then things take kind of a slightly different turn, right? Moses goes down. He's carrying the tablets. Tablets were God's work, right? Emphasizing how the revelation is God's. That's kind of a, a side conversation we can have another time. Uh, Jackie can lead it. We're not having that conversation today. Joshua here. So presumably, right, Joshua hasn't been in the mix, but it sounds like Joshua's kind of nearby, Joshua says there's a cry of war in the camp, but Moses sort of being attuned to what's happening. It is not, that's not what it is. It's, it's song, right? It's not war, it's celebration. And Moses comes down, he sees the calf and the dancing, he becomes enraged and throws the tablets down, uh, and they shatter. And then he took the calf that they made, burned it, ground it up and made them, made them drink it. Like you want, you want some golden calf? I got, I got your golden calf for you right here. Uh, like big, big angry dad energy uh, coming from Moses at this point is at least how I'm interpreting this. Uh, not that I can ever relate to being a mildly annoyed father. Okay, um, here's where we're going to focus. We're going to focus in, and then and then Moses says to Aaron, "Why'd you do right? Why, why did?" Well, I'll, I'll just read it. What did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin against them? So a very interesting question here. Moses doesn't ask his brother, 
what'd you do and why'd you do it? He frames it as what did this people do to you that you have brought, right? They did something to you, Moses is assuming, that you then did a sin to them. Which is a very interesting way of kind of structuring the question that Aaron's now going to respond to. So these are the verses eh, that I think I told Jackie we're going to be focusing on. Uh, we're going to be focusing on verses 22, 23, 24, 25. Bonus verse. I was very excited about the bonus verse uh, out of chapter 32 of Exodus, so chapter 32, verses 22 through 25. Aaron says, Moses, please, please don't be angry. Atayadata. You know this, people. They're in evil. They're in badness. These these people, they're they're just they they're really not good. Bad bad people. They said to me, make us a God. Asher that will walk before us. Because this guy, Moses, who brought us out from Egypt, we don't know where he went. That sounds roughly familiar. I said to them, who's got some gold? They, they, Took it off and they uh, they gave they gave it to me. Whoever has gold, take it off and they gave it to me. And I I chucked it into the fire. Oh look at that! This this golden calf just sort of emerged from the fire. I just I just threw some gold on the ground and and wow, look at that! A golden golden calf kind of came out of the fire. I'm I'm. I'm interpolating in my translation my my own understanding of how Aaron is kind of framing this. Uh, verse 25, Moses saw that the people these people were translated here as out of control. Translated here, since Aaron had let them get out of control, that they were a menace to anyone who might oppose them. There's a lot of different ways of translating that. Jackie, I don't know if you pick up on some of that, any of that. Yes, no, maybe. I I mean, I, I did because I was interested in like this word parua and frao, um, right. but I didn't go down that route because they keep connecting it. A lot of the commentaries connect it to leprosy and I don't need like butt mitzvah flashbacks here. So I did not. You had leprosy or your butt mitzvah? Parsha Tezria was my, yes, I had, le- yes, Rabbi Machavero, I had leprosy. No, my bat mitzvah Parsha was Tezria. So good. I, at 12 years old, was an expert in leprosy. Oh, good. It's good. It's good to be an expert <laughs> in something. Okay. So those are the verses that we're focusing on. Um, as I often do, I'll kind of pull out like one or two pieces that if we're framing like the sense of mental health, spiritual growth, what kind of jumped out to me. And then I'll turn it over to Jackie, who will no doubt fill the Kushia collector role admirably. Um, I think it's interesting to think about how blame works when we're feeling bad about what we've done. And I, and I see that, right? What, what does it mean to sort of blame others when we're feeling like we've messed up 
How do we respond? And then inversely to that, how and and like when and how do we take accountability um, and responsibility um, when we slip up, even when we make a really big mistake, right? What's what's our response? When do we feel drawn towards blame? Um, and when and how can we get to a place um, of taking some uh, accountability? Um, I think there's a lot in these verses. I think, like I said, it's an interesting retelling, reframing. This happens sometimes in the Torah that we see some verses and then we see a slightly different version of that story not too not too uh, long afterwards. And I see that happening here. Uh, but now I will do one of the hardest things that it is for me to do, and that is to stop talking and I will turn it over to Jackie. Thanks. So with with this story in mind, with this repetition, with maybe hopefully with an eye towards blame and not blame and accountability and missing the mark and all of that, um, what what kujio do you have? What questions do you have? What what does this bring up for you, Nancy? Well, yeah. Even before you talked about the blame piece, it's this the part that I'm curious about is um, when Aaron says, "You know, these people are evil." Like, where did that even come from? And it's just very curious to me. Like, yeah, we know they complain, but evil, like, that's pretty strong. Yeah, so interesting. It's also funny, I realize I'm so used to teaching on the field with some people on Zoom and some people in person. And it's such a treat to not have to try to, like, repeat and summarize your question in the same way. Um, but yeah, that's so interesting. I also, something in the Hebrew that I think is so interesting is it's ki berahu. So like, because they are within evil and it's using this in that I think is in, and you can translate that in a few ways. Um, but it is interesting. Like where, where did we get from like kvetchers to stiff necked to evil? So yeah, Renee. Um, so yeah, what is even meant by evil? Is it meant idol worship? Is it meant that they're being rude and disrespectful? Is it meant that they're killing? I mean, evil evil has a long, uh, many kinds of connotations in it. Right. So if if Aaron is saying this sort of, what's his foundation? Why why does he say this? And like, what does he mean by it? And is there, I think also something a little bit is is what like what's his motivation maybe behind this like how what is the evil he's seeing that he's causing that's causing them to him to call them evil and maybe a little bit to to nancy's point of like might it be an exaggeration you know did they deserve this um denise so i feel like the whole thing feels really out of character for Aaron because first of all like when you say accountability, but he's not really being accountable in the sense that, like he says, okay, I did this, right? But probably anyone could have reported that, but he doesn't explain why. And like, it's a big jump to, you know, he's one of the leaders of the people. And later he's known as the one who everybody loves because he's always chasing peace and making peace between people and stuff. And here, like they come to him, they're freaking out. And instead of just calming them down, he like indulges their fear. And it, it just, it, like, it just seems like a very out of sync thing for him to do. 
Right. So, so you're bringing out sort of this Aaron to later Aaron and what we've learned, what we learned about him later and sort of where is the accountability? Like what made him, it's not only that he sort of missed the mark in letting this happen, but really that he was so out of character. Um, and he, yeah. um, and, also and he because, did this. Like when he says, you know, they are with an evil barrage or whatever, like, does that have something to do with it? That like, if he was, for some reason, carrying a, a negative impression with him, that could that have informed his choice to just not even try to elevate them to a better place or help them come to more peace, but just, oh, whatever, just go with it, you know? Yeah, so interesting. So what were his, so what I'm hearing is like, what were his responsibilities as the leader? Not only maybe did he contribute to Vodazara, but he also wasn't the leader that he should have been in this moment. So it's like a double, it's a double problem that he's created here. Yeah. Karen. And then oh, this, sorry, Denise. And I feel like that's the key that he gives up on them and that, and that that led to the whole problem. Okay. And he's not holding that. Okay. Cool. Interesting. I did not, I did not even think about what was the fault in leadership there. I love that. Karen. First of all, they really, he really made them drink gold. Is that true? Really? Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> oh, never mind, never mind, never mind. I mean, I can't even imagine they would probably all die, but okay. Never mind. This is like two brothers and one says, no, you did it. I didn't do it, mom. He did it. You know, they did it. These are these bad people. I had nothing to do with it. All I did was say, take off your jewelry, and I burned it because I don't know why I was doing it. And up popped. Like pop goes the weasel, but, you know. Right? That's it. It popped up by itself, and there it was, and they followed it, and I had nothing to do with this. Talk about accountability and blame, and when you're really feeling was I just reading? It's a great book. Anyway, it said there's a difference between regret and uh, what did she say shame or something? Shame, you you just fall into yourself and you just don't even want to. Please let me disappear. Regret, on the other hand, moves you to action, right? And you try to make amends. This to me is shame. And I didn't do it. I didn't do a thing. And now I'm not doing anything. That's it. Yeah. Brene Brown. So I, the greatest lesson I ever learned about regret and shame was from Rabbi Matt Shapiro. And I'm not only saying this because he's here and I'm going to attempt to quote him and then he will tell me if I'm wrong. Um, but he talks about regret is for what I did and shame is for who I am. Hopefully everybody's video is frozen. So if he's nodding, I can't see it. That's not, that's not, that's not something I came up with, but you, you might've heard it from me. It's not something I came up with. I think I heard it like, Brene Brown by way of Beethoven, by way of my own understanding of it. But yes, that's, that's, that's the way I've heard it explained. Well, yeah. So that's where I learned it from Bisham Rabbi Machibiro. Um, Yeah, but it's so interesting. So you're picking up on this sort of, first of all, on the sibling dynamic, which is interesting of like, of Moses is like calling out his brother um, and being like, yo, and, and kind of like that. And then also, that he's really he's really attempting to wipe his hands of it and maybe it's because he's ashamed of what he did it's not only like 
oh, I did a bad thing. It's it, it feels to me like that difference between like cats and dogs that they joke about that like the dog is going to hide and the cat's going to like look you in the face while they knock the cup off the counter. Like that's definitely sort of the, yeah, exactly. That's the vibes I'm picking up on here. Marlies. Hi, good morning. Um, I, um, I'm interested in, I don't remember it exactly, but um, a little further up where Moses says to Aaron, um, like what you did, what did he, how does he phrase it? Uh, um, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? What did this people do to you? Okay. So that's what I wasn't remembering. Right. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just curious about that. Um, and that, yeah, just, just unpacking that more, what people think about that. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's so interesting. And this was, I think it's so interesting that this is like, there's blame everywhere. I, I don't know if other people have watched How I Met Your Mother, um, but they have like the circle of screaming where like the boss yells at the guy and the guy goes home and yells at his kid. I'm sure it happens in other places. And I think of that, like Moses starts the conversation with blaming. Moses starts with blaming the people. Hey, Aaron, what did those people do to you that you did this thing? So Moses already in some ways is finger pointing, but also in some ways is giving Aaron the out. He's setting the stage of like, Oh, you want to blame the people, Aaron have at it. I'm already blaming them for you. And so, and so what are the ways maybe also in which like, does that make it harder than for Aaron to say I messed up because Moses already is ready to blame someone else. And so it might've made it more, a little bit more leading. Yeah. Michael. Well, I'm just, <clears throat> Denise mentioned that uh, this was out of character of, of Aaron, and I'm wondering if it really is out of character of Aaron. In other words, yeah, he was known as a great conciliator. Uh, he would go talk to to each individual and be kind and understand. But, but I mean, uh, is this, is this not, is his reaction not that in other words is it really not that i mean denise said it was out of character and i'm i just question is it really out of character uh and i'm curious uh whether it is and what you or rabbi shapiro have to say about that i have so much to say about this (laughs) i told jackie she could go first but i like i have so much to say about this and i'm really excited that people are picking up on it too uh, but I feel bad because I told Jack I, before we started that she could go first. I, to be fair, I also told you that you should go first because the point that I'm going to bring, especially if this is what you're picking up on, yeah. the point I'm going to bring is going to be so much better if you talk about Aaron first. Great. I just feel but like... But can, not- can we go to Bonnie first? Yeah, we're going to go to Bonnie. You- I just, I feel bad. I feel bad. I feel, I don't know if I feel shame, but I definitely feel some regret. But but yeah, let's 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 go to Bonnie. Yeah. Well, if we look back at a previous... Uh, sentence the Torah itself seems a little conflicted because in the first area it says that um, Aaron took the gold from them and cast it into the mold of a calf yes and it's only when more Moses uh, then Aaron is talking to Moses that he talks about it popping up like magic yeah 
It's so it's so interesting. So this year, um, for really the first time, I've been really diving into biblical criticism in school. Um, and this is, I think, the first moment that I've had where giving the answer of these are two different stories from two different sources actually is an easier theological answer in some ways than our own straight up lying to Moshe. Like, it's so interesting because normally the answer of like, well, two different people wrote it and that's how we bring it together is a really hard theological answer. Um but here it seems like, like, I don't know that that's the answer, but it definitely here would make that easier than saying, well, Aaron knew what happened and he just lied to Moses's face to get out of trouble. Yeah, I, but I, I think the flip side to that is, you know, a lot of we're, we're hearing a good amount of the sort of blame shame conundrum, right? Like, I can also very much relate to Aaron's experience there like if i've done something that i'm really not feeling great about it and someone comes to my face and says hey matt what happened it's difficult to say like i've gotten better at it like i've gotten better at taking ownership and accountability i think but it's it's still not an easy thing when someone comes to you directly and says i see what's going on here and it seems like things have kind of gone sideways what what's happening to respond directly with, yep, this is what happened. I messed up. How can we fix it? Um, that's not easy, let alone having the threat of being punished by a God who all of a sudden you just saw making thunder and lightning up on a big scary mountain, right? Like, but even, even without that, right? Even without that, that's still not necessarily an easy thing to do. Um, Speaking of things that you're not supposed to do, so I, <laughs> I was I was prepping for this class. We had already picked the verses. There is a tradition that you're not supposed to translate the verses that we just translated. So don't worry. I'll take the heat for that because I told Jackie that we should look at these verses. I will take full accountability uh, in Olam Haba if I get uh, d- divinely lashed for that. I'll I'll take that heat. Um, but but there's a tradition that you're not supposed to translate these verses because of how they make Aaron look. So yeah, wait, it, now I, you're scooping my point though. You oh, just I'm scooping your point. That, okay. I'll, that I'll, is I'll, on my source sheet. Okay. I'll walk that back. Um, <laughs> but, but getting into sort of like the Denise Michael conundrum, right. Of like Denise saying, this seems totally out of character for Aaron and Mike saying, is it? right? Like, what are the narratives that we tell about people, right? What are, what are the, what are the ways in which we construct images of who other people are, especially leaders, right? The person versus the persona. And if we're going to be super committed to say, I have this vision of this person and who they are, to remember that people are still people and people make mistakes. And that's really important. It's really, really important and to not get lost in the persona. Um, and, and even more than that, it's really interesting to think about the, the chuva, right? The, the repentance that Aaron makes as a leader. Because, right, true chuva is when you take, right, when, when you're in a similar position and you don't make the same mistake, but also finding a way to like transfer the way in which you were most vulnerable and to find a way to elevate it, right? So if Aaron has shown himself to be vulnerable in interacting with the people and God relating to physical, precious, precious physical materials, what possible better tshuva for this man than to be the high priest, 
who is an advocate for the people, who is decked out in finery, not to worship those items, but to find a way to elevate those items, right? That That's actually a beautiful model for what tshuva can be. But for that to happen, there does have to be that accountability and kind of like that, that reckoning with, with what you've done. So I think, there, I think there's a lot of really interesting pieces here because from my perspective, this is my understanding, the verses are the verses for a reason because they're actually giving us an acute psychological insight in terms of how Aaron is responding in, in this moment and how he's having a hard time um, reconciling uh, what what he's done with now what he's being confronted with. That, that's what I see happening here. Nancy. But also it's so interesting. It all starts out with assumptions that, that the leader makes, right? And never actually asks the people, like, yeah. why did you do this? How were you feeling? What was it about? Because if they would have said, you know, it was scary. We were really, this was out of fear. The whole thing might have changed, right? But he didn't. And it was just, I'm coming down and making assumptions that I know. Everything. Oh, you're saying, oh, interesting. You're saying, you're saying with Mo, I thought you, yeah. I, I thought you were talking about Aaron at the beginning of the chapter. No. Cause I think no. there's also a piece there, right. Where Aaron doesn't also say, right. Time out. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. You're scared. That's okay. Let's take a beat. Right. Let's see where everybody's at. Let's, 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 do a quick pause on the whole idolatry thing. Like, let's, let's see what's up. Right. Like he also, cause he also doesn't necessarily do that in, in the way we're told the story at the beginning. Yeah. It's kind of like going back to your parent analogy, right? You're just assuming, you know, why your kid did what he did instead of like really looking into why he did what he did. My God. I never feel worse as a parent than when it's like, why are you out of bed? It's like, because my brother wanted water and I was getting <laughs> some water. Oh, that's a really nice thing. And also get your butt back in bed. But like, that was a really nice thing, right? Like, because I'm making it, he's just out of bed because he's trying to stay up late. No, I was doing a nice thing. You know, that's, that's, that's never a fun parenting moment. Hypothetically, I would never do something like that. Um I have so much more I could say about this. I don't know if others have stuff you want to say. I don't know, Jackie, is this a good segue to what to what you wanted to bring? Yeah, I, I sort of. I mean, if you want to go a little deeper on on Aaron, I'd be I have a little bit of like a, a meta point. Great. Why don't you why don't you bring your meta point? I have I have plenty of other stuff I could say, but let's <laughs> let's go Zuckerbergian and, and say we'll we'll do meta. Uh... Yeah. Renee, you might have to you might have to share your share your points with him today. Um here, yeah. Okay, hold on. I just want to find the right. I think this is the one. Okay. Let me share my screen. You're gonna you're gonna talk you're gonna talk about how we're not supposed to be reading these verses. I will talk about it. It's not where I want to start. Um I okay. can't share my screen. So either oh. I can read this really long commentary or you can make me a co-host. I'm gonna make your choice. Host. I don't want you to get drunk with power and to be like host, like just you know, like you're just like let's give it a little more time. But you can be co-host. Okay, great. Share screen. In fairness, Rabbi Shots only ever makes me co-host. So, <laughs> so now you're drunk on power is what I'm getting. <laughs> okay, so this is Shnei Luchot So this is a um, like a Hasidic commentary, if I remember correctly. Um, so I 
um, actually, wait, before I, before I share this and before I explain my point, I, so something to me that I think is so interesting in Torah and in the rabbis is that the rabbis, the classic commentators from the medieval ages through, it's a relatively recent phenomenon. We'll go with that. Really pick sides. They, and they find ways. And when they've decided, I think the classic version of this is, is Esau. And I don't, I think this is something actually that got talked about in this class at some point is that like Esau gets a really bad rap for not have done, having done much. And so this is a moment where I think we see that Arun is shifting blame and we see it as like, oh, this is a problem. And the rabbis are coming back and they're, these commentators are coming back and they're trying to sort of clean up what's happening. So Rabbi Shapiro brought the persona. And so that I think is so interesting is the secondary. So I want to bring this piece because I read this and I was like, are you kidding me? Um, like I didn't bring it because I agreed with it. I brought it because I found it really challenging. Of a there, are some, there are some serious Aharon apologetics happening. Yeah. That's this whole, this whole yeah, source yeah. sheet is just, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so one, so it's talking about this verse. Moses saw that the people were out of control for Aaron had let them get out of control. Um, the Torah is referring to the fact that Aaron, I'm reading, paraphrasing, just FYI. The Torah refers to the fact that it was clearly Aaron who made the golden calf. However, Aval, Aaron's whole purpose had been Lashem Shemayim to further God's interests. So according to this, Aaron made the golden calf for God's sake. Aaron was aware that the people had forfeited their lives, that they'd already committed this capital crime of, of idolatry of Vodazara, the moment they planned to make an alternative deity. So it wasn't even that Aaron had suggested the golden calf, it's that when they came to him, they already knew they wanted to make a deity. While it is true that, generally speaking, God does not count the intention to commit a sin, we don't do thought crimes in Judaism, which is a thing that I appreciate, this rule does not hold true when the sin involves is idol worship. So be careful. Um, he quotes a verse in Ezekiel to make the point. And so uh, here we go. And here's like the real, this is where it really Aaron was convinced that if the Jewish people were punished, this would constitute a desecration of the name of God, Hillel Hashem, since the nations would say, where is your God now? Which I just love that phrase. Where is your God now? The Gentile nations would never associate the death of the That makes me think like Cecil, Cecil B. DeMille, right? Anybody else? Where is your God now, Moses, right? Like that whole... Yeah. Yeah. Have a nice Yul Yul Brenner action going for all the fans of 1950s epic cinema. I to be fair, I do like Yul Brenner, but I prefer a singing Yul Brenner. Um, You've seen the Ten Commandments, right, Jackie? You know what I'm referencing. I really hope you know that. I have I have seen the Ten Commandments. It's been a very long time. All right, we'll do it. We'll do a rescreening before Pesach. It's important. Are we gonna watch it on DVD? <laughs> We've had a week. Don't <laughs> make me feel old. I didn't ask you if you wanted to watch it on Laserdisc. Come on. Watch it on VHS. VHS. 
Yeah, I grew up with VHS. Remember when you get like the the long movies would have like the two video cassettes? Yeah, like Titanic. Yeah, that was that was my that was my youth too. Um, anyways, back to Torah. Um, and and uh, back to the apologetics for the character we've decided we we like. So the Gentile nations would never associate the death of the Jewish people with a sin that they had committed in their hearts, which wouldn't have become common knowledge. So Aaron, according to this, Aaron is worried that the other people are going to think like God just wiped his people out. So Aaron thought he could prevent this Hashem by making the golden calf and causing, here we go, and causing an already culpable thought to be translated into a culpable action. Once the other nations heard about Israel worshiping the golden calf and being punished, clearly this would demonstrate that the that Israel had been punished for a grave sin. Okay. So this to me, I read this and I, so the first time I read this, I was like, okay, well, this has nothing to do with what I want to teach, like moving on. And then I kept reading. And so then I found, um, not that one. That is about Brit Mila. Hold on. I want to find the one. That'll be a real left turn. Um, it's in there, though, because it's about uncovering. It's about yeah. the word. Yeah. Did I not bring it in the end? Oh, here we go. Okay, so this is then from Sforno. So Sforno's from the Middle Ages. Um, and he's commenting on Vayetzahe Egel Hazat. This happened, and he's saying Aaron said, ca- this that happened. The calf just birthed, that the calf just sort of emerged. Yeah, this happened spontaneously. Right. Without Aaron having done anything, once I had thrown the gold into the crucible, the people did not wait until I had performed any action. When we read in verse 4, Vyasahu Egal Maska, I should have owled this. Um, and and um and he made and he made this golden calf. The Torah did not refer to Aaron having made the cast calf. But it referred to whoever it was who interfered and shaped the gold. And it brings another example. And then it says, um, when we read in verse 35, um, that they had made Asher Asu Egel Asher Asa Aharon, that they had made the golden calf that Aaron had made. The meaning of this line is the people made the calf in which Aaron had participated to some extent. They had shaped it, whereas Aaron had only taken the raw gold and thrown it into the fire. Maybe someone else brings out somewhere, maybe even to destroy it. And then it says, when reading the commentary, it becomes clear why the Talmud in Kiddushin 49, it's got our source, forbids translating these parts of the Torah. As the people who would need the translation, it's my favorite, as the people who would need the translation due to their failure to understand the original Hebrew would be apt to misunderstand Aaron's part in this disaster. So, you know, this to me is, I'm going to unshare a minute so I can see all your lovely faces. So this, hello, I, you, you and your waving rubbish bear from the back of the room. Um, this to me is such a moment of, I would, I, I'm going to have a little chutzpah and call it rabbinic overstep that the rabbis are so worried about this persona as Rabbi Shapiro brought out that not only are they coming in with all of these secondary apologetics and explanations 
And it stood out to me because as I was reading commentary after commentary, they just all were apologizing for what Aaron did and explained it wasn't his fault. He was worried he was going to die. He knew they had already sinned. All of these things, they're coming back generation after generation to really make sure that we, the future, their students and those of us, if they thought we would be reading this in 2022, we... we side with our own every time that we see no 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 Aaron's not a bad guy he's our guy he's the guy we want you to side with and then it's funny because you see this piece of the Talmud that I didn't end up bringing but based on the way it's it's cited here and knowing what I know about Talmud they're not worried they the rabbis obviously they know what Aaron did but they're worried about us. They're worried about their students and they're worried about the, the Amha arts as they call them, the average person who didn't know Hebrew. They might come to the wrong conclusion about our own, which to me, again, is just such this rabbinic, yeah. only they hold the answer. And again, that it has to follow their narrative of the story and they can place blame wherever they want, which I think is such an interesting. But, Such an interesting they, thing of this persona. But they and they go even one step further, right? Like not not trusting Amcha, right? Like not trusting, you know, your your um Yosef Shmosef that that they can like sort of tolerate the fact and, and have some understanding that you know people are complicated, right? And that there's complexity and even leaders can make mistakes. And not just that, but that there can also then hopefully potentially be be learning there. I mean, Karen, you were earlier, you know, picking, I think, rightly up on, on sort of the, the funky family dynamics happening here. Right. Like they're they're brothers. This is a this is a complicated relationship. Right. Moses was in the palace the whole time. Then he comes back, and all of a sudden he's in charge. And Aaron's kind of Aaron's kind of on the side. And now Moses goes away again, and Aaron's left in charge just himself. Like that is that is a tough family dynamic to be navigating. And Moses, who has been absent for big chunks of life, and now in this moment of real need, Moses, who has been completely absent, comes back down and says, "What were you doing?" Yeah, it makes sense. Aaron's going to be a little defensive. That makes sense to me, right? And like papering that over, right? And saying, oh, no, it was just that he didn't really mean it because Aaron is always trying to elevate God. I don't buy it. <laughs> so, I think it's- sorry, I don't, I don't buy it. Um, that's okay. Um, I'll, I'll talk to the Shanae Lukot Habrit about it. We can, we can chop it up. But, but I think, I think for me, right? For me, that interpretation doesn't just like paper over. It actually robs us of an opportunity to learn something much deeper that, that's happening in the text. That, that in the shot of the Torah, in those verses, there's some really interesting stuff about what it is to be a person, what it is to be a leader, what it is to be a brother, what it is to feel shame, how to respond to that, and to just sort of say like, oh, that's not really what he meant. That that robs us of the opportunity to learn from all of that. Um, and I think, I, I think, I would say it's not just oversight. I, I think it's a rabbinic misreading of something that's essential 
to the text that's important to reclaim so that we can learn more deeply from it. Right? I would, I would, I would go one step further there because I, I, I do think it's important to be able to, to really grapple with these verses. I, I think they're rich and I think they're important as they're written, you know, Karen, you have your hand up, but now it looks like you're, you're, I'll wait. I'll talk before you call on Karen. Oh, oh. Can I, can I Meg's going to talk before we call on Karen. Okay. Oh no, you're not. I'm talking oh, to my mm. son because I'm a mother, <laughs> and he's not doing anything Sorry. wrong, and he's not doing anything wrong, so I'm not yelling. Okay. The more you say that, Karen, the less I believe you, though. You're a rabbi. I'm telling you the truth. Okay. Okay. Anyway, uh, what what was my thought? Uh, yeah, Moses is coming down. Look what he has just witnessed and been through. He's a little famished and overwhelmed. I get it. I get it. Yeah. And you're all saying, you know, so he's yelling and what did you do? And I, I get it. Totally. I, I get it I too. To yeah. I, I, I get it all the way around. I really do. I get it for Moses. I get it for Aaron. I get it for God. I get it for the Israelites, right? These, these people have been in, there, there was some really interesting stuff. We, we sort of, a lot of folks were asking about the, the Ra, right? Like what, what makes them evil, right? A lot of folks were asking about that at the beginning. Sforno had an interesting comment on that where he said they were already so deeply in the sin, having been used to the idolatry that they were addicted to. How it's translated. I didn't. I didn't yet get to peek at the Hebrew. They were addicted to, in the hundreds of years in in Egypt. It's not an excuse, right? We all make choices, and these are people who are in a a really tough time, and they're trying to grasp for something that's known, and they're trying to find something comfortable, and they're and they're scared. I don't always make my best choices when I'm in that spot. You know what I mean? Like I, I have, I have some empathy for that. Um, I, I think this is a a deeply human moment that the rabbis are often eager to write off as sort of like, ah, oh, that was bad. Don't look over there. No, look at it, right? Like, sort of get in touch with it. See what's what's happening here in this really fraught moment. Um, I mean, I'll I'll put an even finer point on it and say, like, we are currently in a, in a time of if not intense crisis, I think we can say we're still in a bit of a crisis moment. I think we can fairly say that. And so to look and say, how do we respond when we're scared? How do we respond when we're feeling a leadership vacuum? How do we respond when we feel blamed for something that in the moment seemed like something intuitive that should be done? Like, those are, those are important questions, right? <laughs> those are resonant questions, you know? And I, and I like, I, I, I see those embedded in this narrative, and, and I, think, I think we deprive ourselves of some real opportunities for learning if we just try to sort of hop, skip, jump over these because they make us feel a little uncomfortable, you know? Uncomf- moments of discomfort can also be moments of real learning, right? Um, Jackie was going to talk before Karen, and then Karen talked, and then I went off in another direction. But before I call on other folks, Jackie, did you want to jump back in? Sure. Well, I think it's interesting. I think what you mentioned makes me think of like where I think often in analysis, and I don't know if this is a me thing or I picked up somewhere, but I often think of like, where could it have gone differently? 
And I think this reminds me of the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa when you ask the question of who's at fault. And I when I and it makes me want to ask the same question here, like who's really at fault in this moment and who could have stopped it? And the answer is both like everyone and no one. And I think that in the moment we're in and in our lives happens so often of who stops the blame game. And it's and it's the point I was gonna make earlier with the rabbis is that it feels so I will I will say I'm an only child, so like I don't have this experience of fighting with siblings, but I do live in relation with other humans, and sometimes that authority figure comes in and just takes the side of the golden child or whatever it is, and you're sitting on the other side and going, really? You're really just going to be like, well, they can do no wrong, so clearly everyone else made the mistake here. Um, and I think that's a really challenging piece, and and we come to this question of really, like, everybody's to blame and no one's to blame, and what do we what do we do with that, and how do we sit with that? And how do we learn from it? For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um. I want to. I want to make sure we have time for both Mike, Mar- Marlise, and Mike. Um, I, there's one more piece I want to toss out there um, before we wrap up too. But Marlise and Mike been waiting. Um, I I don't know if you know the answer to this or, but but just my my question about the the rabbis and their apologizing for Aaron and like this historical context. I mean, who are they? Who else is? Is reading this? Is there anything about anti-Semitism and wanting, you know, our patriarchs to look good or anything of that nature? Just kind of wondering what what is the context of them being so um, trying to make, you know, not not looking at people as just acting humanly and trying to make defend defend them. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a relatively common rabbinic thing to want to like elevate the heroes of the Torah and further demonize the villains, right? Like in, in this Parsha class, we've sometimes talked about that with like Jacob and Esau, for example, right? And that Jacob gets really, really elevated or like Yosef HaTzadik and how righteous Joseph was. It's like, are we reading the same story, you know, because like they, they are important characters and they advance our people's narrative and they do good things, but they're certainly not flawless, you know, and so too for Asav. Like, what did Asav do wrong? You know, he was out hunting. He wanted to get his dad's blessing, and it got robbed from him, and he got picked off. That's understandable, you know. But but I think in in the classic like rabbinic mind, because of social historical context, because of any number of like of reasons, and I I think it's fair to say that you know it is more common now in terms of where we are narratively to have more nuanced understanding of of narrative right like tony soprano and walter white only showed up in the past couple of decades you know what i mean like like it's not to say that there weren't nuanced characters up until hbo right but but i do think we have a different sense of narrative complexity than we used to um mm-hmm. i think that's fair to say um, and I think that that can in turn be sort of a lens through which we then dive back into our narratives and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to like open myself up a little bit more to what might be embedded here because there might be pieces to, right. We can sort of like sift through and unearth different pieces that can in turn offer us what, what to chew on. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I think there's a lot, I think that in and of itself could probably be like a succession class. 
right? Like what's, what's the rabbinic motivation for claiming certain, you know, understandings of different characters in the Torah. Uh, that, that'd be, a, that'd be a great class. Jackie can teach it. Uh, that, that'd be awesome. Um, I have some I, thoughts percolating after you said that. Great. Great. <laughs> um, but, but I, but I think that would be like my very brief on one foot foot, one foot response. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Mike. Maybe uh, uh, we're, 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 we've all been spending a lot of time talking about humans, human, and humans make mistakes all the time. And maybe the reason we weren't supposed to have the exact translation is because they the somehow uh, rabbi, uh, you know, rabbis wanted us to. Uh, have to have a have very deep discussions about this and try to to uh, put it all in context. Uh, 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 there's uh, there's a book that just came out the other day called The Quiet Before by somebody by the name of Gal Beckerman who used to work work for the New York Times Book Review is now with Atlantic, and I was on a uh, a webinar or the, the Wednesday night about the book and and he's talking you know he he tries to lessen the uh like like everybody believed that uh you know there was so much that social media in our day could change things but beckerman talks about this incubation period that's necessary and for incubation periods to really occur properly there has to be a lot of time and there has to be a lot of exchange of information and opinions, you know, like five Jews, 10 opinions and stuff like that. So I think it's sort of necessary that we have these discussions. I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I think I hear that, that it doesn't just happen overnight. Well, like some, you know, an overnight success that took 20 years to get yeah. there, right? Like, like things incubate. It's not, it's not into, although I do hear you. I do hear like sort of like the rabbis are, oh, Aaron only did that so that this you're you're going the next level. And you're saying, oh, the rabbis did that so we could like unpack what they did. So you're doing yeah, right. I think right. you're doing apologetics, apologetics, which is which is very interesting. And if I wanted to be sympathetic to you, I could do apologetics, apologetics, apologetics. But I think at that point, my head might pop off. My shoulder. <laughs> um, there's there's one more piece I want to make sure to bring. Jackie, are you OK if I if I try okay. to bring some? Is that cool? Do it. So there's one thing that I saw. We haven't even touched on the thing that I saw in these verses that got me super duper excited, which is right here in verse 25, right? So verse 25, which gets translated as Moses saw that the people are out of control since Aaron had let them get out of control so that they were a menace to any who might oppose them. Fine. There's some funkiness with some of these words, particularly that back phrase. But if you just look at that three word phrase, which we read in the Hebrew as ki o aharon, right? That Aaron let them get out of control. But remembering that in, in the Torah, there are, there is no nikud, there's no vowels. What, what else does that look like? Pharaoh. Aaron was Pharaoh. That's really interesting, right? That's, that's some fascinating stuff. Um, and, and the like super abbreviated riff, which I could go on for a very long time, but we're already past time. So I'll try to abbreviate it is this word of 
pro o gets right and you see it there uh uh foru foru a right that like out like breaking out is that you can also think about the idea of pharaoh as someone who is out of proper measure right like what what is one of the issues one is one of the like the whole enslaving thing not so great but one of the many issues with pharaoh is that pharaoh saw himself as a god not as a man right Pharaoh saw himself as more than just a man. So he made certain decisions about how to behave that really negatively impacted a lot of people for, for any number of reasons, right? But, but just sort of trying to narrow in on just one piece of this, that Pharaoh was seeing himself out of proper measure. And in this moment, that's what Aaron is doing too. Aaron is also seeing himself in a disproportionate way, first in terms of overstepping by making the golden calf. And then I think you can make an argument, not stepping up enough and not taking ownership, right? So there's something about overstepping and then like shrinking back, but going, right? What did Aaron do wrong? He overstepped. He did too much. He, he inserted himself and said, we're going to make this golden calf. And it's also then interesting because sometimes, like, I, I've heard it taught in some, like, Musari literature, right? Humility is about being right-sized. And who was the most humble person who ever lived? Moses, right? So when we think about leadership and we think about being right-sized and we think about overstepping our bounds and how do we then take ownership and accountability so that we can then move forward, I think there's a lot in there. I think, I think there's a, a lot, a lot in there. And I think the question that regardless of sort of the formal role we have in terms of leadership or not, I think it is a question for all of us about when are we overextending ourselves, breaking forth from the boundaries that should appropriately contain us. What, what's that instinct from a place of fear, from a place of anxiety, from a place of grappling with uncertainty, right? What pushes us beyond those bounds? How do we appropriately rein it into a place of humility? And I think the question that, that we've been all sort of grappling with a bit today, when we break that, right? When we go too far, what are the mechanisms that we proactively establish and then potentially as a response to, to take some ownership, to take some accountability, to say, oops, I made a mistake um, so that we can learn and move forward with a full understanding um, of, of what we've done and its consequences and then how to move forward. Um, and I think that those are some of the many, many questions that these verses um, can raise for us. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. A big thank you to Jackie uh, for doing a fantastic job uh, as uh, in teaching this class with me. So thank you so much to Jackie. Also, I got to say a shout out to Debbie in San Diego, who apparently listens to this podcast and introduced herself to me last week at Cold Fila. And I said, I still can't believe anybody actually listens to this as a podcast, but it's lovely to meet you. Uh, Debbie, I don't know if meeting me was like, well, that no, no, I'm definitely not going to listen. Uh, but if you're listening, thank you for listening. Um, and thank you as always to everyone for joining and asking great questions and sharing wonderful insights. And we will see you, uh, whether over Shabbat or with us next week, whatever it is sometime.
Thanks, folks. You made Thanks Rabbi Schatz proud, Rabbi Shapiro. Oh, well, that is always my primary goal. So I'm glad to hear it. Because I, I know you were worried about whether you could, like, pull it off without I am. around. I, and am. I just want to be the one to say that you did it. Thank you. I'm glad we got that on the podcast, too. Excellent. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.